Welcome to another edition of Eusebius on Times Live. Last week, of course, the Black Business Council hosted, amongst others, the President, President Sol Ramaphosa. And many of you would have seen a clip go viral of the President in which he appears to be jokingly suggesting that the Minister of Sport, Arts and Culture, Nathan Tedwa, ought, of course, to simply have rethought this expensive flag that he wants to erect. It was on the occasion of that dinner, that gala dinner, that the remarks were made. What was not reported as widely, and my colleague, who is the editor of Times Live, Makuru Sefara, and one of the deputy editors of the Sunday Times, wrote a very interesting column in last week's Sunday Times that caught my attention, as his columns always do, in which he set out the context within which the speech of the president of the country had happened. President Sol Ramaphosa was, in fact, responding to some really interesting, challenging remarks from the president of the Black Business Council, Elias Monarche, who had himself critiqued the state and the government. And I didn't know until I watched those remarks, because if you were only following the reporting of the president's non-joke about the flag, you might be unaware of the sequence of events on the evening and the really interesting critique of the BBC, the Black Business Council, of the state of the state and as well as the state of our economy and leadership in government right now. And that's exactly why I've asked Elias Monarche, who's the president that made those remarks, to join me in what will be a wide-ranging conversation for the next 20 minutes here on Eusebius on Times Live. You're listening to Eusebius on Times Live. That's this latest podcast on Times Live. And it's me, Eusebius McKaiser, exploring the major issues of the week. That means you're going to hear a lot of law, politics and ethics, how they intersect and how important these stories are in the life of all South Africans. When people zone, their children must know these are sellouts. They put saliva on the paper. Mr. Julius Malema, whispered and said, sing it, sing it. And then they share that zone. No, I'm not going to apologize. Can I have my iPad, please? So they stole it. Elias, you're a busy man. Thank you so much for agreeing to come on my platform. Uh, My pleasure to you and the listeners. Let's start and leave the president out of it for just a couple of minutes broadly. You understand business. We live in the same country. Our country is in deep trouble. How would you describe the state of our political economy? I think the the state of the economy, one would say we are at a crossroad. And uh, why am I picking... Uh, that uh, metaphor yeah. of a crossroad is because um, lots of, uh, maybe I should not say lots, many of our state-owned entities, they are in a state of array, disarray. Mm-hmm. And the reason I'm saying they are in a state of disarray because ordinarily state-owned entities are the ones that 
they one uh, ignite the economy in terms of the infrastructure. And uh, at the back of the infrastructure is around uh, state creating uh, one employment and two um, dealing with uh, a transformatory agenda in terms of uh, affirming um, uh, businesses in terms of creating demands. And that's the reason I'm saying um, we are at crossroad because uh, all the state entities, they are not in a state where they do maintenance. I mean, we are seeing ESCOM. Um, ESCOM is basically down south uh, because um, um, in any day or week, um, we have lots of issues. If it's not uh, load shading, it's not uh, uh, load shading, it's blackout. If it's not blackout, we then have uh, different things that we tell about a substation blowing um, something, whether it's a uh, transformer, whether somebody has stolen a cable. It's a variety of things, or you get uh, a story that boils somewhere in uh, Ida Midupi or Kusine. They're not functioning. So yeah. you have a mixed bag of issues. Now, as a result of uh, a lack of sustainable energy across uh, the country, it basically then puts the entire economy at the back foot because you cannot then do anything uh, in any form or shape. I mean, if you take a gogo who runs uh, Maguena, uh, fed cakes, or you have a bakery where you do uh, yeah. lots of other things, if uh, power goes off and uh, your dough is in the oven, basically that means you throw it away and you're not going to get any refund from That's anyone. Right. So, mm. And I'm saying that's one aspect. Mm. The second part, if again we then talk about the hardcore manufacturing, if you are in a welding space, you weld uh, steel, you rely on gas, you do lots of other things in terms of uh, painting, whether yeah. you paint a, a vehicle or you do powder coating. Um, again, when the power goes off, it then means uh, there is nothing that will come. It then means that steel becomes scrap. And, and I'm saying... This part of the problem that we're saying, if government they cannot smell the coffee, that uh, the country is at crossroads, we are at a space where um, you wake up in the morning, you are not even sure whether you're going to have uh, electricity uh, the whole day or not. And, and it makes living uh, yeah. so difficult in, in any form or shape. That's one aspect. The second part of the problem is that uh, the bulk of the people that um, they are working in this country, I mean, Forget about, let's put aside the question of the unemployed. I'll come in a second. The people that they're working, that they don't have vehicles, they are utilizing public transport. And in the main, they're using uh, taxis from A to B. Yes. Our rail, yeah. our rail is basically down south. I mean, our rail have been strict uh, to the bone, if one were to use those words. But in certain mm. areas, we don't even have uh, a train from Jimistin to... Uh, there is nothing from Jimistin uh, to Tembisa, there is nothing. Now, these are the, some of the issues that we're saying. If, again, government, they cannot see that uh, um, the, the cost of um, people moving from A to B is a med. And I'm just using the two, the two lines only, Jimistin uh, to Katlehong or Jimistin yeah. to yeah. I'm just using the, the two lines, and, and the list is long. Whether you want to talk about Cape Town, you want to talk about uh, mm. um, other areas, uh, the other part of Pretoria. And again, it's a major problem because the cost of mm. the employees to move from A to B is more than 
what they use them to pay, uh, even before. Absolutely. Yeah. And then part of the yeah. problem is that uh, if now the people that are working, their transport cost is high, it basically then uh, what it, it, it stifles the economy uh, to breathe in, in yeah. Omoche because uh, we don't have uh, maintenance. We don't have uh, even the ability to build uh, the, uh, the rail. Uh, for whatever reason. I mean, you look at trust and there's nothing happening up until now. And uh, do they have the appetite to basically then invite even a private partnership to say, let uh, the engineering industry come on board and then uh, rebuild this thing and maybe treasury, they can then put aside the the guarantee so that at least we then have rail. So that if we have rail, at least the cost, it then becomes less compared to what uh, people are paying now. Now, these are some of the issues that you are facing. And remember, if we then have a rail that is moving, uh, it will basically then create jobs in terms of uh, rebuilding the rail, uh, the demands from the manufacturing, doing the the the, uh, the power lines, doing the, um, mm-hmm. the railway lines itself, and various other issues uh, that are linked uh, to the revival of that. Um, uh, so, Ellis, uh, let me ask you this question, right? Because I agree with you. All, everything you've said is accurate. And even then, we're just scratching the surface. We don't want to be depressing. If we had an hour, we could fill an hour just listing the various aspects of the economy that are not working. Everything you've mentioned is so crucial. Energy insecurity, ailing infrastructure, infrastructure that is dilapidated and not replaced. And that's not even to talk about water insecurity, our inability to make sure that we don't lose excessive amount of lives. One is too many already in the event of a flash flood, whether it be in Alex or in Etta Queening, etc., etc., etc. Who's responsible for the mess that we're in? It's leadership. I mean, the responsibility lies best with government more than anyone else. I mean, the government, the job is to govern. And part of governing is to make decisions on the maintenance, the um, security of the infrastructure, um, uh, rebuilding, um, the question of providing sustainable energy. I mean, these are all state-owned entities. Um, and I'm saying the, the responsibility lies in the rest of government. And it's about leadership. And if this government, um, up until now, they cannot realize that uh, ESCOM, they're basically killing the economy, they're killing the country, that's part of the problem. Because ordinarily, if uh, it was in any country, that board would be gone. The board of ESCOM, the CEO, and even the minister, they'll be gone. But... Uh, we live in a society where um, when people, they don't perform, they get a promotion. When people, they are corrupt, they're then uh, promoted from a small position to a higher position. We've seen that. I mean, uh, we have a testimony around it. So these are some of the issues. And hence, I'm saying it uh, is about leadership. Do we only have a political leadership crisis or is there also a leadership crisis in business? I would say yes and no in business. And then I'll tell you why I'm saying yes and no. is because for business to put proposal on the table is subject to an environment being created. We are crying out loud as uh, black business uh, formations. Uh, the Black Business Council in particular, uh, the organization that I'm leading, we have raised this thing with uh, the president himself and a number of other ministers to say, can we have an engagement to talk about these issues? How do we uh, rebuild the economy? How do we reconstruct the economy? How do we 
bring the marginalized into the mainstream economy? How do we bring uh, women into this thing? But you need a fora, you need to have an ear, you need to have uh, a president in the economic cluster that uh, they are willing and keen to sit around the table and then we put proposal. But if they're not willing to do that, it then becomes um, a problem. And because now it's as if we're grandstanding. We're not grandstanding because, I mean, from last year, uh, September and January, until January, we raised these issues when we met the president in uh, short uh, meetings that we have with him to say, President, we need your audience. We need to have a meeting. Uh, we need your ministers on board. We need to talk to them. And if they're not available, what then do you do? We don't have any other way uh, until now he arrived at, the, at our summit uh, for the dinner. And even at the summit, um, if I were to tell you um, this thing, I mean, we invited a number of ministers. Most of them, one, they, they didn't even have the, the courtesy to say they're coming uh, let alone even um, a courtesy to say we are in the sip of your um, your invitation. They basically silent, um, so they don't come. And uh, the president also, from his side, ordinarily when a president uh, comes to uh, functions of that nature, he will then have a holding room where the leadership will then brief him to say. President, um, this is what we are, this is what happened, and what, what, So you basically then give a brief of what transpired the entire day. I mean, uh, his team, they're not even willing or keen to have um, um, a holding room. And it basically means I, as the host, I meet him at this car, at the parking lot, then I marshal him into the, the dinner hall. So you don't have time to brief him, nothing. And then when you arrive there, so what then do you do? Do you expect me then to to smile, say everything is hunky dory No, I don't sell ice cream. I don't, I'm not money that people must love me. Um, I need them to talk to the truth. I mean, uh, you know, when... when, when you speak when, the truth, uh, though, Elias, let me interrupt you there just uh, a little bit, right? So I asked you whether there's also a leadership crisis in business. You said yes and no. You talk about the importance of being drawn in and being listened to and action to help business, black business in particular, to unlock its potential and the contribution it can make to the economy. That is part of you pushing back and saying, no, there isn't a crisis. We need to be make sure that conditions are conducive to us participating. But you didn't say no. You said yes and no. So presumably you think there is also a leadership crisis of sorts. What level of responsibility at all should business take for its contribution to the mess we're in? No, no, no. I, I guess the, the point that... Um I was dealing, I was raising that uh, in as much as we, we, are, we are crying for a discussion with government, is so that people do not perceive us as if we, we want them to shoot from the hip. We don't have uh, a contribution to make. We have a huge contribution to make on the economic front. Uh, that's the, the part where I'm saying uh, yes and no. On the other side, I mean, because government didn't want to have a meeting with us on our own as black business, because our agenda is different from our white counterparts. Now, let me then come to the other side. I mean, the other side, remember, for many years, there are a number of other things that are happening on that stream. I mean, you look at, for example, the question of corruption. Most of those companies, they were caught up in the building of state years in 2010, uh, the construction companies, they paid money for collusion, and none of them, they've been blacklisted for, for collusion uh, in terms of not doing business with government. They continued, yeah, even post-2010. Even now with the Zondo Commission, they were still fingered 
and they still continue doing business with government. They're not uh, being um, blacklisted or their bank accounts closed by the banks, let alone even some of the banks, they are part of this thing. We've seen now Glencoe have been, um, what, uh, fine, I think, uh, a billion um, in the US and UK and um, for corruption. And uh, nothing's happening in this country, business as usual. I mean, and then that's the other part where I'm saying business also, they need them to take big business, they need them to take a blame for the role in corruption, state capture and all these things. And they continue to do business with government. There is nothing wrong with them. And uh, even in terms of the, the, the Zondo Commission, the report says, um, if those businesses, they show hand, they come forward, they pay for the wrong things that they've done, then off you go. And, mm. and, and again, it's not in line with the, the spirit of uh, um, uh, justice, because if we then talk about uh, uh, for justice to be done, we need them to go the full monty with this um, uh, consequence. I mean, there are consequences for this thing. Uh, but and that's the point that I was trying to get at. That's exactly the point I want to get at because I guess we're having two conversations in parallel here, yeah. and that's fine because I did invite you, as I said in WhatsApp, to speak about black business in particular. But we will get to that theme as an important theme on its own in a minute. We'll get there just now. But then there's business more broadly. And for me, it's business that is often let off the hook because the media and ordinary citizens, not so much civil society organizations, but they don't have much media space. But a lot of quote-unquote mainstream media are often state-centric in its analysis of the problems and the mess that we're in, Elias. And it's right, because the state, like you rightly say, has enormous power and duties. They've got a monopoly on tax collection, on passing laws, creating policies, and they've got a, collection, uh, a monopoly on legal force that they can use. So it's right for the ANC to be roasted in government, for the president to be held accountable. That's an important part of leadership and active citizenship. But then I look at the various reports that have come out of state capture so far, and we don't even need them because the evidence was there before them, Elias. And you look at the role of banks, for example, financial services industries, accounting firms, um, auditing firms, law firms, Right, And that's before we even get to the big management consulting firms like Bain and McKinsey. That's not the state. Those are non-state actors that are also preying on Gogodla meeting. And business in, this, in that sense lets down SA Inc. as much as Cyril Ramaphosa. Would you agree with that? No, granted. That's the point that I'm saying. Uh, that's the point that I was raising to say. Big business, they've played a major role in stripping the, the assets in this country in participating in the corruption, mm. in collusion, in various forms of uh, money laundering. And uh, they're scot-free yeah. because uh, that's where I'm saying they need them to be, I mean, if we talk about let justice be done uh, regardless of the consequence, uh, that's the point mm. where I'm saying we need them to draw a line in the sand. Whether it's a bank, whether it's a financial institution, whether it's a construction company, whether it's a mining house, whether it's whatever, we need them to say, these guys, they're in, mm. in the wrong. Then we need them either them to go the full uh, might of the law, to even if they have yeah. money, but uh, let the CEOs being arrested and the executive and the whatever, including even blacklisting them. These are big businesses. And, and, and that's why I'm saying, then you cannot then have a report that says if they show their hands, they pay, 
then they are scot free. It basically then means Absolutely. justice is not Absolutely. going to be done because those yeah. money they will pay and then off they go. So it then means it will only be Jacob and whoever that they don't have anything, and Maria they will be the one that they are prosecuted. I mean, you tell me. I agree. Yeah. You then say somebody yeah. have done a an affidavit, an affidavit where a person have lied under oath and that's perjury, and the person is then prosecuted. But the person mm. who have done a a bigger crime in the country in stripping and doing all these things, the person is still walking the street. I mean, what happened to Stainoff? Stainoff up until today, nothing is happening. Is hungry door? It can't be. That's the point that we are raising. Big business have played a major thing, and I'm saying government must basically then govern and and make uh, this thing happen in terms of holding those people to account and being facing jail terms. That's Absolutely. the point that we are raising. Yeah. yeah. No, I agree with that point. I mean, obviously, you and I would agree that perjury is serious, but economic crimes must also be fully prosecuted. Can we talk about your mandate now, which is the most important thing I want you to bring to the party in today's episode? Black professionals, black businesses, aspiring black corporate leaders, where do they fit into this landscape? Are there black professionals and black-run businesses black billionaires that are also part of that kleptocratic class or who do you want to drive a wedge between quote-unquote white capital and your patrices? Not, not really. The agenda that we're driving, we're driving an agenda that says at the heart of uh, Black Business Council, we want all uh, formations that support a transformatory agenda to join hands with us. Talk about transformation. Yeah. To talk about empowering the professionals so that let professionals be appointed and do their work without any fear or favor of anyone. Uh, so that uh, whatever they've studied in various institutions, they need them to execute. We want uh, businesses that um, they embrace transformation, not by a shared luck, not by, by an accident. It must be part of their. Uh, their plans and strategies to say, we have uh, this um, a procurement out of that. We are setting aside 40% of uh, women, youth, unim- um, uh, graduates in whatever form or shape, uh, the youth, um, and, 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 and even yeah. Black-owned entities, people living with disabilities, to have a share of the cake into this thing. That's part of the transformation. We don't want... Um, a, an economy, a country where SA Inc. for the 6% of the population they, they rely on, on grants. We don't want that. We want people, we want that to be converted to employment. People they need to be employed. People they need uh, to go and study entrepreneurship so that they can come out of that with specific skills and employ people. And that's the agenda that we're driving, a transformatory agenda. We're driving an agenda where we're basically saying, what is a big uh, corporate in their procurement spend? They need them to say, we are putting aside, we are setting aside X percentage for different categories of people, then to come on board into, into that. We want... Um, can, uh, can I just ask there about the data, Elias? Because a lot of people play, example, table tennis, yeah. and anecdote is often used as a substitute for robust data. Yeah. You will find many white South Africans saying, we have it tough these days. Black businesses get the lion's share of procurement opportunities. 
etc., 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 and that it's easier for my child to go and pull pints in Earl's Court in London as a barman than trying to get job in this country, South Africa. What is truth and what is fiction in terms of uh, who gets to participate no, no, in the little bit of the economy that is still that still has activity? No, that that's fiction. Uh, that's not true. There's no truth on that. I mean, uh, you can look at um, the recent um, procurement on the PPE as a classical example. I mean, during the COVID, uh, black people they participated uh, is a fraction. Um, all the the billions that uh, were contributed or donated by various individuals and companies. It basically went to the white hands, white big corporates, uh, to the extent that uh, there are only few black uh, companies that benefited out of that thing, let alone even uh, during that period. Um, most uh, companies that they started to manufacture, for example, the mask, face mask, uh, sanitizers, yeah. only few. And even mm. if you then look at the rand value, it's not mm. equated to the to the white counterparts that they've made billions out of this thing. I mean, the logistics, for example, um, the number of companies that uh, they've made money more than ever before, um, not the companies. I mean, you then look at a uh, uh, number of all those goggles, the stadiums. I mean, the, the stadiums are closed. I mean, those shipments, um in different mm. levels of uh, lockdown. They were not operating. Uh, the people that were doing, the, the guys that they, car, they, they wash uh, cars uh, next to a shebin or that gogo who basically sell um, a meat or dry meat at a particular uh, place where there is a car wash. Uh, there was nothing. Yeah. The people that sell in the stadiums in various forms and shape, basically they were they're out of business for the past uh, two and a, two two years and a couple of months, and um, now if we are then saying those individuals, basically um, there is a plethora of uh, companies that have closed down and professionals that they didn't even make any single cent. I mean, we can then look at uh, the the artist, uh, the creative economy. Most of mm-hmm. them they even committed a suicide. Some of them, I mean, we know most uh, sure. most of them they've died. Some they committed a suicide because they couldn't take it. I mean, you are the head of uh, the family, you don't have anything, you don't get anything. You also then look at the guys in the taxi, you will recall the taxi guys, uh, they didn't get any any assistance, and uh, they were told then to reduce... Which brings uh, us back to the state, Elias, and I, I'm afraid I'm going to have to ask this question bluntly then. Given what you've said in the last two minutes, given what you've just listed in the ways in which black people are suffering because of that exclusion from activity, including activity that originates from state opportunities to participate in the economy. Overall, has the ANC government been a force for good when it comes to economic justice and opportunity for black people to flourish? No, I don't think so. I don't think so because... um um, we can look at number of programs. I mean, you look at the the guaranteed scheme that Treasury uh, created last year. Um, the uptake yeah. of that it was very low because the conditions that the banks put uh, it excluded um, a majority of businesses to apply. Um, so you, you know you have a scheme, but you're then restricted. Uh, you're excluded by virtue of uh, 
the eligibility, the requirements for the scheme. Equally, so this year, when the Minister of Finance, um, in his uh, maiden budget speech, he basically said um, he need uh, is going to uh, create a bounce back scheme. I mean, we then said to the Minister of Finance, uh, Ino Kodongana, um, he must basically include us in the design. Um, of the scheme so that we can then define areas that uh, our membership or the black businesses in the main, they need them to be the, the beneficiary of that bounce back scheme. Guess what? Uh, we were excluded and somewhere in, in April, now he, he launched the scheme and uh, without um, our uh, contribution or participation in the design of uh, the bounce back scheme. And again, guess what? Uh, only one bank have signed, um, and all other banks wow. they don't have an appetite. So it's a failure on its own. So, and these are some of the issues. As if yeah. government they were taking us serious as black uh, businesses, they would suppose then to engage us on uh, this economic issue. And that's the point that um, over and over we're raising. This is an outcry. We're basically saying we're crying to engage government and, and propose certain things that will work. I mean, we know what's happening in business. I mean, you look at, for example, the non-payment uh, uh, of uh, government to small businesses. I mean, we raised this thing. It doesn't come from government. It didn't come from the big business. We raised it. And guess what? I mean... The- and even then, they answered your cry by creating more red tape instead of cutting no, it. The, the, uh, um, yes. And I'm saying... They employ, they employ, I mean, with due respect, they employed um, Sipon Kosi uh, without even canvassing us who would be an ideal person. And I mean, Sipon Kosi is a good person, he's an ex-CEO of uh, Exaro. Sure. But again, talk to us. I mean, Sipon Kosi, in as much as he's a uh, business person, he was at Exaro, it doesn't make him to understand the issues that uh, black businesses they're faced with. Uh, because, you know, when you look at the corporate, the corporate, you will have all departments. You have somebody dealing with uh, finance, HR, procurement, somebody in administration. A, a black-owned um, small company, they, they ownize everything, answer telephones, they do all sorts of all these things. Hello. Including even doing the submissions. That's right. Now, you are the uh, entire value chain. Yeah. Yes. Now, and these are some of the issues that I mean, well, you know, it's disappointing. Government, we raise the issue. They don't come to us to say, can we converse an opinion on who do you think would be an ideal person? And ideally, you then need them to take somebody who comes from that environment, the person who have run a small business, who understand the rate tape. You go to a bank, they want a balance sheet. You want a loan, they want a, um, a business plan. You don't have a business plan. You don't even know where to start. And I'm saying... These are the are part of the rate tapes that small businesses they're faced with. And, and, and because yeah. now a person yeah. is having an idea, you even talk to a person who's an entrepreneur, you're having an idea in his head. He's saying, you know, I want to do this thing. And then you go to a bank and say, Where do you have a, a proof of concept? The person doesn't know. And now these are some of the issues that um, government they're not enhancing and mm. assisting in that process. And this is one of the, mm. the frustrations that um, I guess we're, we're facing. Yeah. And there's a final question because we're going to wrap it up here, but I, I, I really will create more opportunities for us to talk in future because we've got the distribution channels in the company that I work for, Times Live in particular, and government reads and, and does take notice. And of course, 
collectively you exist, and this is my final question, as a lobby group, as a pressure group, you also hope to influence policy formation. If this black-led, ANC-led government is not listening to the frustrations of black professionals, small and medium enterprises, aspiring conglomerates led by black people, started by black people, where does that leave you? What is your strategic posture going forward? I guess our last, I would say our last hope is the coming um, ANC policy conference that is coming in July. Uh, we have met with the ruling party a few weeks ago and we have raised our issues and they've agreed with us to have regular engagement with um, ourselves. And we have even raised the issue that uh, they need them to communicate with the ministers, hold their ministers accountable, including the president, so that they create that uh, environment for engagement. And, and in the main, I'm saying to you, uh, coming the month of June, uh, from the black uh, business, we'll be having various meetings on the policy document so that we can then influence uh, the ANC um, policy conference that is coming in July. So part of the, the build-up, we're going to have our own meetings to deal with the policy uh, issues, the gaps and identify areas for engagement mm -hmm. so that eventually whatever that uh, we come with, it will then um, find expression to the ANC policy conference in July. That's really interesting. I'm going to keep tabs on that, both to see whether they listen, what ends up being the final policies that are adopted in the economic subcommittee and cluster, and also, most importantly, where the internally finds expression back in the state policies and the behavior of the state subsequently. Elias, thanks so much for coming on Eusebius on Times Live. Okay, no, thanks uh, to you and the viewers and your associates.